One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there. The show is brought to you by Levi Solicitors. So we'll do you 10% off your legal fees, 15% off conveyancing instructions until the end of September 2021. LeviSolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. I'm Dan Moylan. Hello. With me is Michael Normanton. Hello. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Hello. So this show is all about finding out what's been said about Leeds United, both by you and by the opposition. We've got the audio version in your podcast app. You can also find it now on your YouTube channel. First, we'll take uh, the temperature of Leeds United in the wake of the Liverpool game. It's been a little bit fractious, is it safe to say, on the internet. I mean, Moscow, you did a, a little match report and some tweets mm. that you've sent out from the Square Ball account that have upset a lot of Liverpool fans. There's been a lot of muting going on. I don't know how much more I could have been nice about Virgil van Dijk, Mo Salah, all their players saying that their reaction to um, what happened to Harvey Elliott was exemplary and it was something that occurred to me. I watched the game back and when it got to that point, because I was so distracted as anyone who watched or listened to the match ball will know by Jurgen Klopp's behaviour, but I was struck by the contrast with all the players. And on the question of whether it was a red card or not, Mo Salah didn't even, we know that Mo Salah loves a free kick, didn't even ask for a free kick when Stroik did the tackle. It was only when he saw that Harvey Elliott was injured that he then wanted you shouldn't, you shouldn't, on. You shouldn't have said Mo Salah loves a free kick. That's going to be the next <laughs> thing. You're going to have to. You're going to have people showing you videos of him staying on his feet now. But from the from the very low expectations of footballers' behaviour, you see something like that happen on a football pitch. They'll often go to the player who's uh, tackled them and start fighting them, and there'll be a brawl or break out. All kinds of it happened with um, Son and Gomez. There was players coming on and trying to attack him for what he'd done. Whereas in this instance, I think a couple of the Liverpool players went to the referee and were like, are you going to do something about this? But there was a lot more of them going to strike and seeing that he was upset and going like, and Virgil van Dijk in particular was the one said, went up to him. You can see he mouths up, it's Pascal, and he goes and has a word with him. He's kind of arm on the shoulder, having a chat, like, what was your view of this? And I think making sure he was all right, as much as they were making sure Elliot's all right from the two perspectives. Klopp, on the other hand. Um, oh, here we go. I mean, one of the... More interesting replies this morning was somebody saying that, uh, of course, he didn't go to check on. Because, as I was saying on the match ball, he didn't. He was more worried, it seemed to me, about shouting things at the fans in the West Stand behind the dugouts than checking on his player. And somebody said, well, of course, he didn't rush to check on his player. He's not allowed out of his technical area. What, what did everybody watch? Just, just on the, that, by the way, can I just say, I, um, I, mean, I know we touched on it on the match ball. I was over in the East Stand and I, I didn't pick up on any of the Klopp drama at all until afterwards. And I want to say, by the way, I've not watched I've not watched any of the game back, so I can't offer any sort of informed opinion on this. The only bit I've seen is just the bit you've clipped of um, 
Klopp on the pitch telling the referee mm. what to do. But I've refused to engage in any of the uh, analysis or any of the replays. That's good. But um, be useful. But yeah, I didn't. I didn't realise just how much had gone on there. Is all I was going to say. Yeah. Klopp shouting at the West Stand is weird because he's doing the covers his mouth and he's he's obviously swearing at people but behind a hand, so they presumably in the crowd noise, they can't even hear what he's saying. So well, apparently what is he doing it for? Somebody, well, as I described on, on the match ball, it was that progression of people didn't realise why people were running on the pitch, why medics were running on the pitch while the game was still going on. There was still a football match in the northeast corner while there's people running on the pitch, and I think the initial reaction of the people behind the dugouts was, get off the pitch, and then people saw, it dawned on people, as oh, this must be serious. Klopp, stuck he got caught in that first reaction and i uh, forgive me I, I can't remember their, their name but i noticed somebody replying who sits behind the dugouts that um the c-bomb was audible from klopp towards the fans in the west stand and then he came back with his hand over his mouth and started and kept shouting the c-word which obviously we in polite company such as this when i see and you know that's only one a person saying that that's um, that's what he was saying, but he was very angry about the reaction of the fans behind the dugout, and it seemed to me like that's not really the the priority. If he had run onto the pitch, I mean, it's interesting. We can get caught up in kind of Klopp's reactions to stuff, and but you, I wonder what it would have been like had that happened on the other touchline. If it been, would he have run across the pitch to make sure he's okay? Was it just because he was in front of him? How much time he seemed to spend talking to the referee rather than attending to the player, but then he's not a doctor, so why the hell should he be messing around with Javier? He's not a referee ankle. either, I should say. So, no. so that would have been, if anyone was going to be getting in the referee's ear, it should have been the fourth official who was stood very near to it and will yeah. have had a good view as well. There is a contrast, the last thing I would say, but it's just as a contrast, and it is a, a sort of extreme example, but the when Christian Eriksen collapsed on the pitch in the European Championships, Denmark's manager stayed in the technical area throughout, and you saw them and all the staff just stood where they were, waiting for the medical staff who were dealing with Christian Eriksen to tell them what was going on. And I have seen, I've seen managers go onto the pitch to see what has happened to an injured player before. I've seen, I can picture Howard Wilkinson doing it, where I can picture them saying to the referee, can I come on because this looks serious? And the referee saying, yeah, come over. And then not engaging in a big brouhaha with the referee. Like, well, we need to discuss about the, uh, how many, what disciplinary action you're going to take. So it all got, maybe it's because it did happen in there and I can very much understand uh, Klopp getting carried away in the heat of the moment and, and all that. But what I would contrast it with, and this is where the accusations that are coming my way, our way of it being a tribal thing, is that I thought the players, Liverpool's players, were excellent. None of them seemed to be going after strike in any way. There was no blame, there was no accusations. They weren't one around with waving for cards in the air or any of that. They were all worried about their teammate. And then showing some empathy to him of like, and the general feeling of, I don't think you meant to do that, did you? Even when Salah is a metre away from it happening and didn't even appeal for a free kick, just turned away. And then when they realised that, as we've all seen on the photographs and the replays, that Elliot's ankle got caught under Stroik's following leg, they've recognised and professional footballers in that situation. They know the game. They know the game. Yeah. It felt to me like, like Salah had the very obvious human reaction of seeing someone badly injured and being like shit someone needs to come yeah. and there are people here who can help like so just get on and, and sort this whereas it felt like it felt like with Klopp his complaints that he's had already this season like he was complaining about Burnley and things it felt like this was maybe 
if he could redo it, he may well do this entirely differently, mm. I suspect. But it felt like he had got some bottled up frustrations about people being too physical with his team this season, which maybe they have been in other games. I've not, I've not watched their other games. And with it being Burnley, I can well imagine that may, that may have been the case. Well, I don't the, feel the, like... the evidence last night suggests it is. Yeah. I don't well, feel we saw was... it when we played Burnley, Ashley yeah. Barnes. I mean, that was a fairly physical challenge. Robust. It, robust, it was. But I don't feel like this, this wasn't a particularly vicious challenge or anything, but I feel like maybe him seeing one of his players injured from it made him, in his mind, it kind of triggered some like, well, I knew this had happened this yeah. is because we're not getting enough protection. And it's maybe that spill over into he was actually complaining about referees for the past month. Of, <laughs> Which but all, all in the what, but all, it all fell into the one ear of yeah, well, and you know what? Craig Parson. Uh, and in the heat of the moment, you can understand it, can't you? It was, you can, but yeah. then in the heat of the moment, you can also praise Van Dyke, and that was the, the the gift that I kind of clipped, and I used it with the um, distracted boyfriend meme because you see when Van Dyke goes over to Stroke, Klopp is in the background staring at him as if he's like, "Why is he even talking to Pascal Stroke?" And then blows his cheeks out like, "Well, I don't know why Virgil's gone in and spoken to him." So there's there are two possible reactions, and it seems like everybody was exemplary. <laughs> apart from Jurgen Klopp, really. All the medical staff ran on. Bielsa, there was a um, a moment when he seemed to be going over to Klopp to say, what are you getting so irate about? And then realised how serious it was. And was like, right, I'll just go and stand over here. It's not with me. Our medical staff got involved. Doctors. And I think what was aggravating me about Klopp shouting at the West Stand was everybody there behind those dugouts, it was an initial reaction to why are people running on the pitch when the game is still going on? And all it needed was to see the seriousness of it. And then the next even breath, and I think everybody was getting that, I was like, oh, this must be really bad. Fine. Which was exactly my reaction because I was the other side of the ground and yeah. I didn't even realise something had happened there. And my eyes were trained over on the northwest corner. So everybody behind those dugouts is ready to calm down and go, oh, right, understand now. And then you've got Klopp running in the middle of them, calling them all names and it, I mean, shouting to be, to at them. The question that follows from this is, is, is it actually a problem that he got irate in the moment because that's what, what a lot of the clapbacks are I mean um, I the, the the telling the referee what to do is a separate incident is it mm. not yeah I think him having to go at the west stand obviously you shouldn't do it and you should be as a manager quite used to being next to people shouting stuff I guess if he's heard someone having a go at Elliot for going down and then he's like look his foot's all over the place you've been out of order I can see why he's annoyed at that I suppose whether or not he should he should just you know let it ride and just think and just concentrate on his own mm. player and his own stuff like it happens all the time with players. Like when um, the the cop was singing, uh, Alexander Arnold singing, he was just a shit Kyle, shit Walker. Kyle Walker, and then he assisted a goal and was just gave it a little flick yeah. of the air. I just I for that I just yes that sort of stuff I think wow. it's great, isn't it? And you start <laughs> thinking, well, fair enough. Yeah, yeah. like you know, he was getting it a minute ago. He's now just done this. He's obviously really yeah, good. Yeah, so you, you, you dangle, you're dangling the red rag, aren't you? And, yeah. the, and the ball occasionally will gore you, and that's that's what football is, and that's why it's funny. Yeah, it the Klopp's re- response though was very different. If he had gone to the cop after assisting a goal and started yelling swear words into people's faces, I would have thought differently. But I think as he as it was, it was a recognition of like it's only messing around. This it's mm. fine. Like yeah. you you give me a bit, is a bit back, and that's and I I quite like it when players do that. Truthfully, I think Just, what surprises me about Klopp and the reason it, it sort of I wanted to highlight it a bit is because he is supposed to be an example as a coach of some kind of elite mentality. Like his brain is it's in his footballing sense stronger than any of ours and he's got this sort of laser focus that means he's an incredible tactician, an incredible football coach. So not being able to shut out the what the noise from behind the dugout in a moment when it really is the attention was on 
a player being very badly injured in front of him. And it's kind of why he was so ragged in that situation where I've seen other managers just concentrate on getting the player attended to, getting him off the pitch, and then anything else about what he'd been saying after playing Burnley and all the other considerations, what people are are outside saying behind the dugouts is all kind of should be outside of his tunnel at that moment. And it's um it's strange to see a Champions League winning coach who is supposed to be kind of the the absolute pinnacle of his profession being so unprofessional in that moment. And it's like, yeah, you can talk about natural reactions, but one of the things that people celebrate about elite sports people is that their reactions are almost so fine-tuned to the point where they're not natural. And that's kind of why they're supposed to be so much better than us. And the humanity of it is actually something I find easier to relate to in the way Klopp was behaving than if he was just standing there robotically. But I think there's maybe a a middle ground where I would have expected him to behave more like Virgil van Dijk. And because there's a a perfect example there of somebody who is um, the leader on the pitch acting in a much more professional manner than the leader in the dugout. Mm. And it's an interesting contrast. I get why it's interesting to you, but I, I kind of I'm left with the thought of man gets slightly angry at thing that happened at football match when players' leg is hanging off. So it's it's understandable to me, even if you don't necessarily agree with it. I know what you're getting at with the elite coach thing, but I mean, like you know, Bielsa is stoic to a ridiculous level, and he just stands there and uh, isn't completely unflappable. Just to return to the fourth official, by the way, I did ask the question on the match ball about whether the fourth official can advise the ref. I looked at the I looked at the rules. And yes, they are considered part of the on-field team is the fourth official. You've got the the ref, the two assistants and the fourth official all considered part of the on-field team and they can advise. Do we know if they did? It, I don't know. It's, it's still not 100% clear to me what the uh, the order of this was, whether the ref really was going to give a red from the outset. You can't say they did because, well, there was no foul given, was there? So if the, the fourth official seen it closer up and advised him. The fourth him, official being... Uh... Huddersfield Town fan, uh, Andy Madley, just to, just to get that in there. Oh, and yeah, Parsons, Sheffield United as well, isn't he? So uh, it um, seems like well, we, we need to be careful not to get caught yeah. up in conspiracies here. Without the audio and the exact order of what happened, it's hard to, to know how they arrived at the decision. And I doubt the the way you seen it his gets, legs. I think that was it. Yeah, I think so. The way it gets kind of, um, I think that's probably right because it gets discussed as if it's kind of a very set process where one person says one thing and somebody replies. But um, from the bits of audio that we've heard from that Australian referee when he was mic'd up, you hear it's more of an ongoing conversation. So I'm sure that it wasn't like VAR sit there silently twiddling their thumbs. They'll be in the, the earpiece of the referee telling him things about what are happening from their perspective. And it feels like from the way they've described it as um, Paulson was always going to send him off, I think was the phrase. And I wonder, you know, that's come through the Martin Tyler filter. And I sometimes feel like at the moment when Martin Tyler's explaining the game, sometimes we then have to explain what Martin Tyler means about what he's explaining. They can hear VAR, can't they, as well? That's the other thing. Right. And I, I think the um, the the vibe, I get the impression that it was like, is Andy Porson has said, I think I'll have to send him off for this, won't I? VAR have had a look at it and said, yeah, that's right. And that seems to be the, that's the way... It's um, more. It's of, more organic than more yeah. organic a process than you're led to believe. Like they're not checking through a yeah a list of yeah. vitamins. Yeah, fair enough. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. 
like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Let's get to the, to the stuff that was fed back to us then, because we spent a long time on that. People talking about the red. Uh, Lee, Aidan, Paul, Spadge, Andrew Larkin, all um, contributing stuff on this. Everybody is basically saying, most of the pundits have said, it wasn't a red, and people pointing out uh, both Lee and it was Spadge who both pointed out Liam Cooper's that he did on Mane about ten minutes afterwards. A red card there might have been useful. Take take Liam Cooper. No centre backs. We don't need any centre backs out the equation. Charlie Cresswell, Newcastle is your moment. Yeah, I mean it's well, it is what it is, isn't it? I guess we'll see what happens in the fallout. Well, We're still not clear as to whether they're appealing it or not. And we've got the the message from Harvey Elliott himself. Yep, aren't we? Where he says he's obviously seen the footage himself and says all fair enough and never a red card and it doesn't even seem like it was a foul it's an accident and it does they won't, they won't rescind it though let's just go on record and say that there's they no way they'll not. rescind and it there is... if there's been any form of contact between strikes trailing leg and Harvey Elliott they'll uphold it and I'm not completely immune to the idea um, I, I get the logic in it that if somebody's ankle has ended up that badly damaged then there was something wrong with the tackle but I also think in this case, what was wrong was an accident. We've all seen it. We all know what happened. There's no point in, in going over it too intently. But nobody, and that's why I was looking at the players' reactions, having heard from all the ex-players, everybody who has ever set foot on a football field in a professional capacity seems to be like, good tackle that went badly wrong. That's a shame. And don't minimise the word shame. It's, you know, it is horrible how it, it turned out that way. But it's just an accident that happens it could have happened under any kind of circumstances just sometimes things do happen the, and the ball they was, are unfortunate the ball was at the side of him wasn't it when he comes in and hooks it and he gets there just ahead of Elliot but Elliot is doing the thing that you're also taught to do which is step across the ball so that it blocks a defender getting to it it just so happened that by the time he stepped across Stroke was already there which meant his leg was there and it was Stroke's it, it wasn't it wasn't there was nothing malicious in it whatsoever, no. which I think is, well, we'll, we'll get onto in, in propaganda about how malicious it was, but I think most people saw it the same way. The contact comes once Stroik has won the ball and is turning away with it, and it's his other leg that is just, he's using it to help himself move on, and that's what has trapped the ankle, and it's it's not to... Uh, well, that's the reason for the red card, isn't it? That is that is it, yeah. quite simply. If, if, then, he's, if, if the lunge was such that that's contributed to him winning the ball back. That's what they're going to say. Anyway, let's get on to the, the feedback. Uh, let's <laughs> start with a proper bloodletting. You remember we had Sinking Feeling contribute um, the other week, who sounds like fun at parties. Uh, we weren't harsh enough was one of the themes that um, that seemed to come through. Probably about us, they're talking here, mm-hmm. not necessarily the red card. Sinking Feeling. I grow weary of Moscow's wide-eyed, childlike, chirping optimism <laughs> about games where we've been absolutely stuffed. 
to harp on about a red card, who cares at that point, when the real issue is how utterly abject we were seems a disservice. Yes, Liverpool are a world-class team, but it doesn't mean we should perform this poorly, uh, as in see the second half of last season to see how you can compete against these sides. Something is seriously wrong this season. And let's be honest, Dan James is bang average. Ah, taking James with him is a bit, <laughs> a little bit harsh at this stage, although we did um, probably sort of agree with that not, not so long ago. But let's give him a chance. Yeah, I felt a bit miserable about the performance, I have to say. That's it, what it was. It was, it, you know, it was. it was the hopelessness of it that really got to me when we did the match ball. It's like, well, what's the point in any of this? Because part, I think the the thing of last season was because the, the golf was so was having it was having a go at, in these games, wasn't it? And I know it went badly wrong in some, like Chelsea and Man United and stuff, where we we did get properly a bit of a shoe in Tottenham, well, Leicester, Crystal Palace. But I mean, the, the um, they they weren't quite like this though. Like the Spurs game, we were in that for a long period. This one, it, Spurs game, we were terrible. Were we? Yeah, I can't even remember. Spurs away, we were all yeah, we, we were absolutely capitulated. Absolutely, yeah, spanked three 0 but there's a. It's been flagged up like the style change, which maybe is a symptom of of where we're at. Andre, who's in um, in Sydney, saying that we seem to have morphed into a long ball team. I don't think we have. I just think that people have figured us out more, and we are being forced into playing long balls rather than playing through midfield, which is what we're good at. And I've said it the other week. When we play through the lines, that's when we're good and we're effective. But a team like Liverpool, who are as good as they are, stopped us playing through the lines. They just cut off all the supply. They knew where to press us to force us into those sorts of. Um, actions. Maybe it's the playing through midfield bit that is the problem, given we have Calvin Phillips in there by himself an awful lot of the time. It does. It, we do seem to be going longer, and I don't know if it's because we've we've realised that maybe Bamford and Rafinha can latch onto some of those balls sometimes, but yeah, there wasn't much of the, the hair-raising playing out from the back, which I know in itself we got a bit stressed at at points last season, but it doesn't feel like we're doing too much of that anymore, which... But teams are sitting on as high up the pitch. You see what Liverpool did, they pressed us so, so high and so then, then, and they know where to do it. They do it. You do it in out wide, out wide positions, don't you? When it's going between like the left centre back and the left back, or on the other side, and you cut off that supply back across to the other, you know, to the other centre half, and you get forced backwards and backwards, and it's going via Melier all the time. And they wait to press you in wide areas. If you if you look at what teams do, it's what Burnley did. They shut off the supply down, down the um, down the flanks, and I think that's what's forcing us to to bypass a lot of the time, particularly because well, Rodri, well, Rodrigo's identified here by a load of people. Philip, Tom. Jacob Aiden, Adsham, Alex, um, Ryan, all just flagging him up. It, it, it needs to stop, doesn't it? Stop playing him in midfield because if Bielsa persists with this, because we were so solid at the end of last season when he wasn't in there doing that, when we had the extra midfielder, when we were slightly more conservative, I think, in our approach, in games like Liverpool, where we managed to stifle them, whereas he just doesn't work in there and everybody can see it. I can see it. All the people there can see it. Can you see it? I see it. I see it. Yeah, I think him there is a major problem. And he, he's weird, is, is Rodrigo, because he's not. we've had lots of bad players in our time outside of the Premier League. We've seen Luke Varney, and you can say, yes, he's not very good at running. He's not very good at passing. He can't really control the ball. He's crap at shooting. He can't dribble. You can kind of go through all these things. Rodrigo's sort of, he's fine at everything. Like mm. he's, not, he's, he's, a, he's a good footballer. He's obviously yeah. not a bad player, but what he's meant to do in that role, he just he just doesn't do. So... He can't do it, so we can't have him there. No, he, he needs to, he needs to go, go to, he needs to go to the bench. And I don't care if it means having a £27 million sub on the bench, that's where he needs to be because he's back up for Bamford at the minute and that needs to be accepted. And put a midfielder in midfielder, for God's sake. Or please. Tyler Roberts, Moscow. Or Tyler Roberts, or is the problem Dallas playing instead of Click? Yeah, I mean, I would, for Newcastle, I really hope Click is back in instead of 
Rodrigo, and I think that solves a huge amount of problems for us. But what about Click instead of Dallas, and maybe that makes Rodrigo play better? Because I don't think, mm. I think Rodrigo's taking a lot of the heat um, because he is disappointing and, you know, we immediately bring up the fee. But then I don't think Stuart Dallas was good. And if you're looking for a, a reason why we didn't go through midfield against Liverpool, we were, everybody's like, well, Rodrigo's rubbish. But I mean, Stuart Dallas was our other midfielder and there's got to be a reason why we didn't go through him very much. And you know, the the two players who were in midfield for Liverpool, uh, Fabinho and Thiago Silva, who are, no, he's not Silva, he's um, Alicantara, isn't he? Let's stick to Thiago, because as I get them mixed up. <laughs> I, think, I think you've made up two other players in that. <laughs> What's he called? Alcantara, what are you trying to say? Oh, I don't Thiago, know. yeah. Thiago, that fella. Alcantara. Like I said. Who are very good, aren't they? Yeah. So there's, there's an argument there for why you would avoid that part of the pitch. But then... I do wonder if we get better link up with Click, who is a midfielder in midfield, instead of Dallas, who is not a, a midfielder, he's a winger who's been converted and has been playing there superbly. And whether that then gets more out of Rodrigo, he starts to play better because we have a better player or a more competent midfielder with him. We have options and I would the change I would make at the moment is I'd keep Dallas, but I would put Click in instead of Rodrigo. I think that's perfectly fair to do. But I think it's also fair to look at, well, are there other problems in midfield beyond just Rodrigo's comparable to Luke Varney or not comparable to Luke Varney? I'm being unfair to you there, but, you know, there's there's more to it than than just that. And Click, this is kind of a a point, I guess it's, this is probably more wild-eyed, childish chirping, I suppose. But the build-up to this game, if you remember Bielsa in his press conference, wasn't just talking about commercialism in football and and that he was talking about three games in an international break and traveling and then you add in click with covid um Stuart Dallas we don't know why he left the Northern Ireland squad what the problem was um you had Bamford away with England um who else was away Roberts was away with Wales Dan James in the press conference two days before the game he's asked about Dan James and Bielsa's answer was like well I've, I've basically never met him and I think Coming into this game off of two weeks when I think of our goalkeepers, Melier, Klaassen were both certainly away. I think Van der Heuvel might have been away as well. I don't know who was playing in goal for any of our um, training sessions. I don't know who was playing up front because Sam Greenwood, Joffrey Gelhart were both away. Um, so were we practicing for this match with Max Dean and then Rafinha, who was distracted by whether he's going to Brazil or not? But there's been a lot of disruption so far this season it's been very stop start and I don't I think and when I look at the way we're playing and the way that we do seem to be going longer and the way that the rhythm isn't there where players aren't finding each other you know Liam Cooper's been off with Steve Clark for two weeks instead of doing any Leeds United stuff we look like a team that's not got its rhythm and this is after what is probably the first long break in the summer since the start of the promotion season if you if you count the first lockdown as kind of a somewhere where momentum kind of carried through in the middle of the championship season then there wasn't a long holiday after promotion we were very quickly into the the Premier League so we had all that momentum until May and then a break and now trying to get back into it and within three games we played three games and then everybody's all it's the same for stuff. everyone, though, isn't it? On that, in that respect, like it it's, is. It's hard, to just, are, it's hard to say it's just affected us. Other teams are better than us, though, <laughs> and that's where it is. I think it's easier for Liverpool to 
adapt to that because they've got better players. We have less good players, so we need to work harder to overcome things like that. There's more for Leeds to do than I think Liverpool, who, you know, this is the team that they've they've really not changed since they were getting 100 points and winning the league and then winning the champion, Champions League. So they know what they're doing. We are a long way off that and we have to work harder, but it's difficult to work harder when Steve Clark is in your your centre back's yeah. ear rather than I think, I think there's there's a certain truth in what you're saying. I do agree. I think what we need is we just need a win to kickstart it. And then it. another international break. <laughs> yeah. But don't, don't you think like it just need we need an easy win or a comfortable win, which I know you don't get the opportunity to have those in the Premier League. That's the that's the one downside to this is that you need to earn it. And I do agree. There's not been a lot of momentum. You, you're absolutely. It's been right. a horribly tough start as well. It's, it is worth saying that because Burnley away is the easiest of our games that we've had so far, and it it's not an easy game, isn't Burnley? Because of because of their style, and it, it's very hard to get any rhythm going against them, isn't it? So we've not had a game yet where we've been able to have any fluency about us. Which when you look at, I mean, we'll come on to it in the next podcast. But I was looking at Newcastle's start, and they got to have like Norwich at home as a start. They've got us at home, which is you know a winnable game from their point of view. I know it's for, for us as well, but. You know they've had they've had some pretty soft games in there to start. Whereas we've had, well, two of the four have been the games that at the start of your season you you do go through and you go well zero points, zero points, and it's yeah. and it's mm. fi- and it's fine to do that. Like it is in Everton at home again, one three on a good day, but a point isn't terrible. And a point at Burnley, we, as we said after that game, a point at Burnley wouldn't have been a bad result at the end of last season when we were tenth or whatever. We'd have gone all right, well, fine. You know that's a that's an all right point isn't it which shows we're sort of steady in this league coming as it does when we can see we don't have enough points on the board already it's just a little bit edgier isn't it but I don't think anyone's I think because a few people accused us of being like well while there's some people saying we weren't negative enough some people also said we were too damning and too pessimistic and it's going to be fine isn't it and that is probably true and and I say that as a very pessimistic person and people should know it comes from a good place I'm not being a a pessimist just for the sake of it like uh, is is almost like an, <laughs> as an, draining as you are it's an avoidance disappointment yeah. mechanism but I think we probably are fine we've got an, an easier run of games to come and let's have a look after yeah. that uh, let, let's finish on the positive then because you mentioned it there Jimmy McWalker said painfully shit which it was we were miles off the pace let's say that they, they were fantastic mm-hmm. I mean, like, people have picked out the fullbacks as well Aiden picked out Furpo which we mentioned on the on the match ball. Again, Ailing has been fairly toilet so far this season. Joe, Angry Chris, Aiden also picking out Ailing. They're up against Mane and Salah, yeah. who, who are like two of the elite wingers in the world in a, in a brilliant side. And we know that. It's just sobering that we have to be reminded of, of the, the golfing class because we have a bad day, they have a good day, and that's all it takes to, for, for a, a thump into a result. One of the comparisons I, I looked at, I didn't watch their game, but Leicester against Manchester City Leicester, who we're trying to emulate and who were, you know, I thought they were going to win the league last season. They were, they were running it close. They didn't, they, they had one shot on target against Man City and lost 1-0. And there's a, there's a, the problem with these teams is it gets boring talking about the, the golfing class, but it's not long since Liverpool and Manchester City have just gone through seasons just ticking off wins. Yeah. Just, they do that. What they did to us on Sunday, they just do to everybody as a matter of routine. And so trying to, draw too many conclusions from about our side gets lost in well it it feels unhelpful because it's more about Liverpool being brilliant and being able to stop us being any good than us being 
lost and damned and never going to be any good forever. And there were good bits as well. We, I mean, it feels in in compared to the overall result, like you're clutching at straws, but if Rodrigo had put that chance away in the first four minutes and then we're 1-0 up in five minutes, we've got 85 minutes to try and defend and, and, and see out the game. And although a lot of it was down to luck and we were, it feels like a hair's breadth between that game finishing 1-1 because we mess up at a corner or the the goal where we let um, Salah go through and score still happens or it being 28 <laughs> nil. Like it was really that if Mane had had his boots on it it could have been embarrassing but then you know he didn't so there was something there there was more for us in that game if we'd scored that chance Tyler Roberts at the well games turn on moments was, was Tyler Roberts I can never remember if it was 1-1 or it was 2-0 at that point right but we get back into the game and there's a, there's a chance and if we defended that corner so up until even though there was a big gulf in class, a lot of the result did depend on small. This is exactly what I was getting on the match moments. ball. Yeah, yeah, it was like because somebody picked me up saying you can't because I wanted to have it both ways, saying that there was a massive gulf in class, but it was it was always turning on fine margins. Mm. But what I was getting at was all those little fine margins, and perhaps I didn't express myself properly, but all those fine margins contribute to the gulf in class. It's all those yeah. just little moments, every single little moment. If you don't take your chance when Rodrigo, if you hadn't whacked it at Allison's head. And he put that in. It changes the shape of the game, doesn't it? Because it was a little bit end to end just initially. Yeah. And that's why football is good as a sport yeah. because you can have quite large gulfs in class, and things can just not fall for you. Yeah, or, exactly, and, yeah. and you can you can get a break there, and they hit the post, and they should score, and you happen to bundle winning from a corner. And you know it's it's why it's why football is pretty much the best sport in the world, other than when truthfully you get teams like Liverpool and Man City who just win every week <laughs> and, they, and that does kind of ruin it. Yeah. And that's where that point about training comes in because I think with more time, Junior Firpo, I know he's been criticised for the way he struggled against Salah, but you know, you're going to struggle against Salah. But there were moments when he's um, linking up with Harrison and doing back heels in Liverpool's penalty area when he had a shot in Liverpool's penalty area. The chance to set up Roberts was I don't think Furpo was involved, but he was it was um Harrison and Dallas playing like the old days and then rolling it across and Roberts finishing like the old, the old days. days. <laughs> but there's there, there's those signs in there that where if you play Furpo longer, not his fourth game, um and not when he started injured and I was ifs and buts and whatever. But I, I think judging him on his fourth match against Liverpool when I think it could be a very different player in his 20th match against Newcastle or who else is garbage in this division, Watford. So just because early in the season we can't do it against Liverpool doesn't mean that it's never going to be good ever again. And yeah, we we were in the game and we had chances to make it better. We didn't take them. It's frustrating. It's awful. And everything's unfair. Yeah, just returning to what Jimmy said and to close out this section... He did say, a painfully shit, but perspective. It's one point per game to stay up. Two wins and a draw from our next five, and we're back on track. And you've got Newcastle, West Ham, Watford, Southampton, and Wolves in there, which is doable. The Square Ball Podcast. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.